If you enjoy finding new products to support your chicken keeping habit and enjoy getting happy mail on a regular basis, we highly recommend the Henny and Rue subscription box. Henny and Rue was created by a chicken keeper for fellow chicken keepers. Items are hand-selected to enhance your first aid kit, provide new fun treats and coop items, and there's always something fun for us, the humans, too. This is a great way to try new products without standing in front of shelves at your feed store wondering if you should invest the time and money to try something new. The guesswork is taken care of for you. So go to honeyandrue.com and save 10% off your first box using code DRINKANDFARM. As a subscriber, you can also visit the honeyandrue.com shop to purchase select items and save 10% off everything. Honey and Rue, better chicken keeping delivered. Welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. This is the farm comedy podcast that is an adult happy hour for the farming community. We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. We keep it real with you and share the mistakes we've made and what we've learned so you can feel less alone in this farm thing. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. Oh, hey there, Sam. Oh, hey there, Bev. What you drinking this morning? I am enjoying a lovely cup of coffee. Ooh. Ah. What are you enjoying <laughs> this morning? <laughs> I, too, am enjoying, should dare I say, early seasonal coffee. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> are you drinking pumpkin spice coffee? I did the thing that I did last year. It was around this time of year. I'm like, I mean... Granted, I feel like at this point, this is probably subjective, but my personal experience is that COVID is at least ruining less things at this point in my life. But I'm still very much like, I'm going to do what I want. Because clearly, like, if if we've learned anything the past year and a half, it's that life can be short. So if I want to drink pumpkin spice coffee in August, I'm going to do it. And I don't care what anybody says about it. (laughs) Look, there are pumpkins growing on the vines out in the garden. It's totally pumpkin season. You have my blessing. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I have your support because it does feel better when I'm not out here just like bravely making my pumpkin stance. But you're right. I think for farmers or gardeners that are growing pumpkins, I don't think that helps us delay our desire for pumpkin flavored things because I have so many pumpkins it's insane and it does put me in the fall mood a little earlier even though it's still hot and humid here Mm-hmm. Yeah. same so if you too are desiring pumpkin spice early do not be ashamed live your best life drink the pumpkin coffee fly that pumpkin flag with pride <laughs> yes <laughs> Our drink beef this episode is our friend Ashley Kiernan, and she is at Ashley Kiernan over on the Instagram. So cheers, lady. Cheers. All right. So the other thing that's probably more in season right now is that it is fair season. Yes. Yes, it is. And I recently went to our fair. I'm a big fan of the rodeo. My stepkids loved riding all the rides and like... Their bravery just astounds me because, like, I just won't get on the, some of those really old, rickety-looking 
rides, carnival rides. <laughs> like, I never would. Like, I used to ride a lot of, like, rides when I was younger, but now I just don't have that desire. But it's very amusing to watch them be terrified, which might say something about me. But along with that is the 4-H and all of the animal stuff and the crafts and the cool things that come along with that. So today... We're going to talk about the history of 4-H. Yes, and I'm really excited about this episode because this was our first year of 4-H. Yes, and I think we'll get into more of that in your can't even, so I won't spoil it now. But overall, positive experience? Thumbs up? Thumbs yes. Down? Okay, good. Yes, good. overall positive experience. I will say this, though. 4-H and the fair is like another system to learn how to navigate, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's just like anything else that you join. There are like, you know, rules and processes and the way that things work. And some of it's intuitive. Some of it isn't. So my best advice, if you want to get involved in 4-H in your fair, is to find a good club with an advisor that can guide you and get you to the information that you need. But your extension office is usually really helpful also. Mm-hmm. So if you have a personality where you're like willing to make phone calls and ask questions, you're going to do fabulously and awesome. <laughs> but to me, the phone is like this terrifying angry badger that I have to put up to my head every time I need to talk to a stranger. Yes, I'm, I'm, we are similar in that way. So sometimes I think I made it harder on ourselves than I needed to. But I'm really excited to learn all of this history of 4-H because I feel like that helps you have a connection with this like new thing that you want to do or are doing already, like if it's new information, so... Yeah, and the interesting thing I found when I was digging into some of the research on this was that there are some conflicting recollections of how it was started, but we found four really great sources. We'll link to those in the show notes, and I just started linking together common information that everybody seemed to agree on. So you might have heard a different story or a different take on this. I will say that Ohio is very proud and they do not acknowledge anybody else starting 4-H before them. (laughs) But we'll get into that a little bit. But I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) I mean, look, it's Ohio. (laughs) We're into our Buckeye football and (laughs) 4-H. Apparently. (laughs) Okay, so if you have a different history that you would like to share, you can absolutely share that in our Facebook group. We drink and we farm things. We'd like to hear other points of view other than just Ohio's. They (laughs) seem to poison all the resources. I'm not interested. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so let's dive right in. 4-H didn't really start in one time or place, no matter what Ohio says. It began around the start of the 20th century and the work of several people in different parts of the United States who were concerned about young people. I mean, when are we never not concerned about young people? We are never not concerned about young people. (laughs) During the late 1800s, researchers at public universities saw that adults in the farming communities did not readily accept the new agricultural discoveries being developed on university campuses. Practices like using hybrid seed corn, milk sanitation, and better home canning procedures. 
However, the researchers found that young people were open to new thinking and would experiment with new ideas and share their experiences and successes with their parents. And this way, rural youth programs became an innovative way to introduce new agriculture technology to their communities. So like you have to think about it in terms of this too, like they didn't have the internet. They didn't have, you know, necessarily access to agricultural journals or anything like that back in the day. So this this makes a lot of sense in my mind how maybe people would be a little more skeptical of new practices and nobody likes change. So oh yeah. This whole like genesis of 4H makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me too because if you're doing something one way and it's working, whether it's working fabulously or not is another thing. But if you're at least ending up with something that you have to show for your work at the end of the year and someone comes along and tells you to change it, you don't have Instagram where you're watching other people have success with this new thing. So all of the risk is there with none of the assurance that it could work. And showcasing these new innovative ways like at a place like a county fair gives you that spot to like see it in action before you put it into practice on your farm so like 4-H was innovative in and of itself and everybody likes a fair and a party and cotton candy so (laughs) um yeah yeah they do The seed of the 4-H idea of practical and hands-on learning came from the desire to make public school education more connected to country life. Early programs tied with public and private resources together for the purpose of helping rural youth. So, Bev, do you want to kick us off on how Ohio wants to brag about everything and how this officially started? (laughs) Gladly. I will gladly do this. So, 4-H officially began, no matter what anybody else says, in Clark County, Ohio, on January 15th, 1902. (laughs) Mr. Albert Belmont Graham was a superintendent of the Springfield Township Schools, and he organized a meeting with some 30 boys and girls in the county courthouse basement. Can we talk about for a second really quick? I know it's 1902, but how freaking creepy to start something in a basement. Now, (laughs) I think of basement like I'm thinking of like, oh, what's that movie? Silence of the Lambs. Like with the hole and he's got the girl in the basement and like put the lotion on the skin. You know, that sort of thing is what I think when I think basement when it was probably more like a church basement, which is like finished and nice. But the picture that was originally painted for my brain when I read County Courthouse Basement was not a friendly one. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I could totally <laughs> see that. Let's see. I'm looking at where Springfield Township is. It was probably in a basement because of, like, tornado fears. So that's why, oh. like, everyone has basements <laughs> out here. But also, they're big open spaces that aren't, like, cut up by walls, if that makes sense. Yes. No, it, it, like, theoretically makes sense. And it probably was, like, a nice finished basement. You're probably right. (laughs) I mean, I hope so. But I just, I'm just wondering if anybody else's brain goes there to the darkest place when they hear something like that. Like, children in a basement. (laughs) Okay. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the reason he organized this meeting was because they wanted to learn more about harvesting corn, planting a garden, testing soil samples, 
tying knots and rope and identifying natural wildlife such as weeds and insects. So basically he was organizing these kids to learn these things kind of like you do in like Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts mm-hmm. essentially, but it has more of an agricultural spin to it and the skills are more closely tied to what would be useful for agriculture. And eventually the group became known as the Boys and Girls Agricultural Club, which makes sense. Yeah. And that continued through 1903. So that was the first year. And at the end of their first year, prizes were given to recognize the efforts of all the members in executing their projects based upon the previously mentioned areas. So basically the first year of 4-H was here are these things that you can learn about and do experiments on. Do your thing for a year. Come back and tell us all about it. We will give you prizes and ribbons <laughs> for your work. And who doesn't like a prize and a ribbon? Yeah, basically first fair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I kept all of Aurora's ribbons. <laughs> yeah. Well, those will be great for when she graduates high school one day and you have an open house. Like, those are going to be great things to show and help remember your first 4-H fair experience. Yeah. I think so, too. So it's also worth mentioning that O.J. Kern started a similar club about a month after that first club in Ohio in February of 1902 in Winnebago County, Illinois. So they were the second (laughs) style club. Allegedly. (laughs) And... Many of the early clubs uh, were project-oriented, and most of them kind of focused on a very specific project. So they were called, like, tomato clubs or corn clubs or pig clubs or canning clubs. And there are still 4-H clubs today that are like that. The advisor is usually an expert in one specific area, and so all of the kids that join that club do that thing. And if you want my unsolicited opinion I like that club structure because then you get to learn all about your thing. Like, you know, experts are called in all about the thing that you're working on. Whereas like in more of a general purpose club, Mm -hmm. you have to do all of the like all of the learning about your individual thing on your own, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I like that, too. And I feel like right now. I'm really interested in tomato club, but next year I might be interested in like pig club, you know, it just kind of depends on (laughs) what you're looking at getting into right now. Right now, my thing is definitely tomatoes though. Oh, tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, given the success of Graham's out of school education program, the Ohio State University created a plan to aid in the club's research through the use of Agricultural Experiment Station and the College of Agriculture. So over time, the Ohio State University's influence helped to establish additional youth agriculture clubs throughout Ohio. And by 1905, there were over 2,000 youth within 16 counties partaking in similar programs to that of the original agriculture club. So this was obviously extremely successful in practice, and Graham accepted the position of superintendent of extension for Ohio. And once he was in office, Graham sent the following concepts, which form the basis of the Ohio Cooperative Extension Service, and that is to elevate the standard of living in Ohio. That's a big job, I think, right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
to emphasize the importance of hard work and habits of industry, which are essential to building a strong character, to acquaint boys and girls with their environment, and to interest them in making their own investigations, to give the boys who shall become interested in farm work an elementary knowledge of agriculture and farm practices, and to give girls the essential facts of domestic economy. Now remember, this is 1905. (laughs) It's not that way anymore. Yeah, I think it can go both ways now. Please don't send us hate mail. This is just the article from... It does go both ways. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for confirming that Ohio isn't stuck in 1905. Appreciate that. Yes. (laughs) To educate adults in the elementary science of agriculture, in the most up-to-date farm practices, and to cultivate a taste for beautiful nature. And lastly, but not least, to inspire young men and women to further their education in the science of agriculture and domestic science. I wish we still called, like housework domestic science like I feel like we don't call it that anymore but it makes it feel more important to me I mean we really should call it that because when I don't do the dishes for two weeks it is definitely science (laughs) happening in that sink so I am not a very good domestic scientist (laughs) well if you think about it too like baking it's pretty sciencey too like making sourdough bread super sciencey so maybe Maybe we need a, a shirt that says, like, domesticated scientist or domestic science. Yeah, I don't know. There's an idea brewing. <laughs> With bread on it? Yes. <laughs> yeah, and, and that totally explains why my son loves baking because he's super into science. And, in fact, he hates baking with me. <gasps> Because I'll just, like, grab the tablespoon and, like, scoop stuff out and he'll be watching me. And oh. he's like, you're, you're not going to level that? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, I can't, I can't watch. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I weigh everything. I do weigh now because I'll, I'll weigh, but I won't scoop and sweep. That's too much. That's following too many instructions. So I weigh because I can just like grab with my hands and like throw. So I'm a better baker that way for sure. There you go. Okay. And I'm sure he cringes a little less when that happens (laughs) that cracks me up so to wrap all of that up becoming an ambassador for agriculture through the extension office graham's mission was to raise the standard of rural life and he stressed the dignity of hard work and sound character and taught that agriculture could be approved by applying the ideas of science so basically he was one of those guys out there that was like we can make this better by doing research and experiments and taking the lessons we learn from that and applying it, which is pretty cool when you think about yeah. it. And a guy named Jesse Field Shambaugh developed the clover pin with the H on each leaf in 1910. And by 1912, the groups were beginning to be called 4-H clubs. And the 4-H symbolizes the club's core education principles, which are head, heart, hands, and health. And by 1914, most clubs abbreviated the principles to 4-H, and Congress passed the Smith-Lever Act, which created the cooperative extension system under the USDA and officially nationalized 4-H. So it's actually pretty cool. Within like 12 years, this was like a thing. That was official. That's amazing. That really is. So there must have been a lot of participation, Mm -hmm. I have to imagine. Yeah, definitely. 
So nearing its 50th anniversary, 4-H began to undergo several changes. In 1948, a group of American young people went to Europe, and a group of Europeans came to the United States on the first International Farm Youth Exchange. Super cool. I want to go on one of those field trips, please. Me too. Since then... Thousands of young people have participated in 4-H out-of-state trips and international exchanges. 4-H began to extend into urban areas in the 1950s across the entire country. However, 4-H programming had been going on in some cities as early as 1906 or 1908. Later, the basic 4-H focus became the personal growth of the member. Life skills development was built into 4-H projects, activities, and events to help youth become contributing, productive, self-directed members of society, and the organization changed in the 1960s, combining 4-H groups divided by gender or race into a single integrated program, which is super cool. Love it. Unity! Woo! <laughs> yes. And today 4-H has an expansive reach because they serve youth in rural, urban, and suburban communities in every state across the nation. And that's really important to know because if you're listening to this and you've never really thought about getting involved in 4-H, like the 4-H projects span so many different subjects. You do not have to have a farm or raise animals to be involved in 4-H, which is really cool. And that's a misconception that I had previously. Like I thought that in order to join, we had to take an animal to the fair and that is just not the case. And youth currently in 4-H are tackling the nation's top issues like global food security, climate change, and sustainable energy to childhood obesity and food safety. And as an organization, 4-H is pretty vocal about social issues, including closing the digital divide, which is the divide between access to broadband and high-speed internet between rural and urban communities. And they also talk a lot about the opportunity gap that's experienced by many youth and states that access, equity, diversity, and inclusion are essential elements of 4-H's goals related to positive youth development and organizational sustainability. 4-H's out-of-school programming, in-school enrichment programs, clubs, camps also offer a wide variety of science, engineering, technology, and applied math educational opportunities, from agricultural and animal sciences to rocketry, robotics, environmental protection, and computer science, to improve the nation's ability to compete in key scientific fields and take on the leading challenges of the 21st century. So 4-H is not stuck in 1902. <laughs> <laughs> not by a long shot. <laughs> they are just like, as an organization, they've actually been really cool to like follow on social media and stuff. They just, they talk about so much. And my niece is involved in 4-H and she does robotics mm. and and rocketry. I think she does both. Very cool. Yeah, she does both. So it's pretty cool. Nice. So there's your overview. We hope you guys enjoyed that. I know I did because I didn't know a lot of that going in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a really cool organization. And there's different ways to get involved in it. So you can get involved in it, you know, at any level and interest that you want to. Wish you could ask us your questions, share your can't evens, or tell your farm story to us out loud. You can do that now by calling and leaving us a voicemail. Just call 401-426-3276, which is 401-426-FARM, if you've been putting off typing your farm story because you don't want to. That just takes too much time. Well, 
now you can call us and just tell us about it. We love to play these voicemails on the minisodes like the one you're listening to right now, but obviously we will still take your stories, questions, and can't evens in written form as well. Bottom line, we just want to hear from you. So make sure you call us and leave us a voicemail at 401-426-FARM. All right, so now it's time for We Can't Even Corner. So Bev, what can't you even about this week? I can't even that we participated in our first county fair. Yay! Love it. Yeah, it was really exciting. We always go to the fair every year because my son is in marching band. He's not this year, but he has been in marching band. So we always went to the fair for the day that our marching band performed there. But basically, we just like, you know, would ride rides, go look at the animals in the barns and eat some fried cheese. And that was it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But this year, because we were in 4-H, Aurora did a project and she did a companion goat project and got an A. um, And it was really cool to see it on display in the barn. And she was also really involved in junior fair night. So she baked an apple pie for the apple pie baking contest. And she rode in the outhouse for the outhouse races. And that was just like super fun. (laughs) I saw pictures. I don't think I've ever seen an outhouse race before so that looked very fun (laughs) yeah so what it is is one night of the fair is called junior fair night and that's when they do all the kids activities at the bandstand or at least that's the way that it is at our fair so there's one night where they did all sorts of things there was a lip syncing contest there was a pie eating contest and there was a calf scramble (laughs) what is a calf scramble so basically there are calves like beef calves in a pen running around and then kids trying to catch them. And if they catch the calf and bring them into the circle, that's their 4-H beef calf for next year. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And it was actually really cool to watch, like the ki- like watching the kids like problem solve, like how to catch these calves. Because these, like, okay, beef calves are not like, they're not baby goats. No, no. <laughs> They're like the size of miniature donkeys. Like they're pretty big. (laughs) (laughs) And so to see these kids like, you know, problem solve, like how to catch them and get a lead on them. And yeah, it was it was really neat. And like, you know, doing the walk in the circle, trying to get them to move, because obviously, like you can't just pull on a calf. They won't go. Right. If you just keep yanking on them. So you've got to like, you know, use your animal handling skills to get them to want to follow you and So yeah, watching the calf scramble was a really cool part. And there were even two teenage girls that did the calf scramble and they both got their calves. And so I was like screaming at the top of my lungs, like in the stands watching them do that. I thought that that was just really neat. Yeah. (laughs) How cool. Yeah. Because the first group was all was all teenage guys. So I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense that the guys would be into this. And the second group went up. I was like, yes, there's high school girls in this. You guys grow. Do it. So we enjoyed it. We'll definitely do something at the fair next week, I, uh, next week, next year. I don't know if we'll show an animal, though, because after doing the fair this time around and just like knowing the time involved just in doing junior fair night, I'm not sure that like the whole camping at the fair and, and fair week and all that stuff is really for us. And I, I don't know if it's something that Aurora is even interested in because that's something else, too, is like. Your kids got to be into it yeah. in order to do all of that. If they aren't, like, you you cannot make them do it. It'll be miserable for you and for them. 
So we might just do projects and Junior Fair Night and we will love it. But if she decides she wants to show an animal, like I'll figure out how to navigate that and ask all the questions and make it happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what? is your can't even this week so my can't even if you follow me on instagram you've probably seen the reel that i made i think it was a couple weeks ago now of me using a bunt pan to get corn kernels off of corn so i can freeze it so i saw something similar on Facebook prior to that and I was like I have that exact bunt pan I'm gonna do it and I will say a couple things about it if you've seen it too and you want to try it so what you do is you're gonna blanch the corn for like six minutes and then you're gonna put it in a nice bath for five minutes and then typically you can just use a knife to cut it off but I decided that you know I'm really clumsy and I don't want to do that so I tried this method and I'll, I will say it's very messy. Just noticed the other day that some of the corn juice from doing it this way was still on my refrigerator. Oh my gosh. Because it kind of goes everywhere. Like I could not wear my glasses while doing it after a while because it was just like getting them so messy. But basically what you do is you take the cob and you shove it through the bunt pan hole and it like very quickly can just put the corn in the actual pan and then you scoop it out and put it into freezer bags and then ta-da, you're done. So it works really well for that unless you have a cob that's like super fat, then you're probably not gonna push it all the way through. With those, I pushed it as far as I could and then pulled it out and then cut the rest off or just had a snack depending on how much was left on it. Oh my gosh, I eat so much corn on corn processing day. Yes, (laughs) yes. So if you don't know what we're talking about, just go to my Instagram, Twisted Willows Farm, and you can look at that reel. But it's pretty cool. It's an effective way to do it. It's just very messy. And I did like five dozen in one day and my arms and like the top of my abs hurt so bad because I don't, I've never done that before. It's like using new muscles, like the way you have to push it in. And some of them like are a little more difficult to push in. So you really got to put your your back into it (laughs) or your abs into it. But I was so sore and that's like the thing that was most surprising to me. But yeah, if you have a lot of corn to process, I did all that from like blanching to ice bath to processing and then putting it in bags, labeling it, freezing it, five dozen in two hours. Wow. I don't know if that's faster or not, but it felt fast to me. And And it's funny and fun. Because you're making such a mess. And (laughs) it's just kind of one of those things that makes me laugh. So the fact that it was entertaining while I was doing it definitely helped me feel motivated to get it done. And we're going to have another round of corn out of the garden soon. So I'll have to do that again. And I plan on using the same method. Because it worked for me. My mom tried it. Because I sent a video of me doing that to my dad. And I think she, uh, I think the bunt pan she was using, the hole might have been a little smaller. But also the corn that she got from her neighbor, the cobs might have just been a little too fat. But she was trying to push it through and it was just like an oh hell no kind of thing. So she went back to her electric kitchen knife. Which is perfectly fine too. That's cool. Everybody has a different way of doing it. Um, This is just mine. And yeah, if you've tried it too, let us know because we want to know how it went for you. (laughs) 
Yes, for sure. Yeah. So you grew all of the corn that you processed with the bump pan? No. So I grew some. Like the first round that I had, it just didn't come up. I think my soil is lacking in some nitrogen. So my corn did not do super great this year. Even the stuff that's coming up now, I think it'll be fine. But it just doesn't look as good as it probably could. But it tastes great. But we have this corn cart that sits on a corner of a road not too far from us and it's five dollars a dozen and it's some of the best sweet corn around so I bought a lot from there because I'm supporting a small business and it was grown and locally and it's fresh so that's where a lot of the corn came from this year next year we do have really big dreams for corn we're planning on growing a lot of it. Nice. So I might need to get a few more bunt pans next year. <laughs> you can have an army of people pushing corn through bunt yes. pans. Yes. That would be super cool. Yeah. <laughs> My corn is almost done. The tassels are starting to turn brown. And so Ooh. I had to peek. I like peeled a little bit of one. The kernels are all formed. But they haven't finished like getting their skin and they haven't changed their color because I think I bought either bicolor or tricolor. So we'll have to see. But I should have a pretty decent haul of corn just as long as like it actually did what it was supposed to. But the cobs look pretty big on my corn. So we'll see. Yay. (laughs) Oh, so exciting. All right. So make sure you send us your can't evens. You can drop those in our Facebook group. Hashtag them can't even. You can also send those to us via Facebook Messenger, Instagram, or email them to us at drinkinformantgmail.com. We do like to review those on our minisodes. And be sure and leave us a review because every week we read an Apple podcast review here on the show and you get entered into a drawing to win an exclusive drink and farm coffee mug that is not and will never be in the shop. Woo! So today's review is from Bisho Amman. I'm That's your Apple name, I think, so I'm not sure if I said that right. I apologize if I totally destroyed that. But we got a review from this individual back in July. And the title of the episode is I Continue to Love This Podcast. And they say, loving learning all these farming tips and tricks that are such a great resource as I grow and expand my own garden and farming skills. And I love the realness you ladies give to it and make it feel attainable and not so overwhelming. Thanks Thanks so much for that review. review. (laughs) We appreciate that. Jinx. (laughs) We do. Oh my gosh. Your kind words are just always one of our favorite parts of this. Yes. (laughs) So just a few housekeeping items. If you haven't checked it out yet, make sure you check out our new series over on Patreon called Straight No Chaser. This is only available to our patrons at the $5 level and above. And you can check this out by going to patreon.com slash drink and farm. It's a really fun series. We did a lot of cool stuff this month that we're excited to share with you. And if you're a patron, it's a really great way to show some love to the podcast. It's not free for us to do this. And we really appreciate any support that you feel inclined to give us, whether it's in the form of reviews or being a patron. And be sure and hit the subscribe button and download the episode when you listen, because this helps more people like you find us. And do us a favor while you're listening to this. You can take a screenshot of it, or you can just share that you're listening to it in your Instagram stories. And when you do that, tag at Drink and Farm. 
because when you do that, we're going to send you a promo code just for that episode that'll give you a percentage off in our merch shop. And we got a lot of fun stuff in there right now. We got hats too. That's relatively new. So you should go check that out. Yes. And make sure you take a look at the show notes to find links to the articles we discussed, a survey to tell us how we're doing, all of our social media goodness, and a link to our merch shop. Yes. So that's it. Yeah, that's it for our History of 4-H episode. Hope you guys loved it. And until next time, drink, farm, and give zero clucks. Bye now. Bye. We drink things, we farm things, we drink and farm things. The flock can't stop balking about Grubbly Farms' new Crumbles layer feed. That's right. Grubbly Farms layer feed now comes in crumples, which means it's packed with all the amazing ingredients your flock loves, but served in a way your pickiest hens get all the good stuff. Yep. Some hens are like your kids and will only pick out their favorite pieces from the feeder, (laughs) but now they can't. So until the end of August, Grubbly Farms is offering new flocks 25% off their first order when you use code DRINKANDFARM25. So go to grubblyfarms.com and use code DRINKANDFARM25.